We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Keating, uh, who's the Green Party's candidate for Limerick at this year's uh, Irish general election that occurred earlier in the year. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Will. Delighted to be here. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, um, what made you decide to stand uh, for the Irish Parliament uh, at this year's general election? Well, I suppose the last five years um, I've spent working as an environmental activist on the ground. Um, where I was living, um, there was plans for uh, an incinerator to go up uh, back in 2015. And myself and a few others living in the locality got together and we formed a group called Limerick Against Pollution. And we basically um, began a campaign growing awareness uh, the people living in the locality um, as to as to the dangers of an incinerator, especially in an area where 20,000 people are living within a five kilometer radius. So we began our campaign and we've, we're still fighting uh, uh, to this day. We've, we've gone through many different stages. Um, so they were granted the planning permission and now we're at the licensing stage um, with the Environmental Protection Agency. So that's the reason I got involved. Um, it was from kind of, I suppose, from an activist point of view, and realizing that you're up against a system, a system that is very much um, about promoting big business and very much about making sure that um, that big business gets whatever they want at you know at, at a cost at all costs, um, and they don't really seem to care too much about people's public health or people people's health and um, and the public don't get much of a say. So I kind of felt very frustrated, and I was like, well. There's no point in me jumping up and down. Let's, let's just see if, you know, if we can try and get in there and make change from the inside because it's very hard to do anything from the outside when you're, when you're just a regular Joe person, a regular citizen. Um, so that's, uh, that's the reason I decided to run. Um, now, as I mentioned, the uh, election was at the start of this year. It was in um, February. And, of course, this was yeah. before um, we saw the um, uh, greater extent of the uh, coronavirus hitting uh, the UK and Ireland. Was it at all an issue on the doorstep towards the end of the campaign or, or was it not at all mentioned? Not at all. It wasn't mentioned whatsoever because I suppose the election was February the 8th um, and it was a very short election. It was three and a half weeks really. The, um, the date was only called in January. So we were given three and a half weeks to hit the ground running and cover as much, you know, of the population in the constituency I was running in, which was in County Limerick. So it was a very short window. So um, in terms of coronavirus, lockdown didn't happen here until the 10th of March, which was a week before St. Patrick's Day. Um, so there was no mention of the coronavirus whatsoever. Um, everybody felt, uh, you know, that it was, it was very much an issue for people living in, in Asia and China. So we didn't think that we'd ever be affected as by it. Hmm. Uh, how do you think that the Irish government have dealt with uh, coronavirus in Ireland? I think they've done their best, to be fair. Um, look, this is an unprecedented pandemic. People, we, we've no idea how to handle this. It's, it's just, it's coming at us. Like we went, we, we've, we've had highs and lows and peaks and all sorts of things. We've had to adapt very, very fast to the changing, um, to the changes that are, that are coming. But it, 
it's, the, the numbers unfortunately are going back up here again since we opened up um, businesses and 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 pubs and restaurants and things like that. But um, I think they're I think they're doing their best. I really do. Um, and there's no point. I think we all have to get behind them and and do what we can to eradicate this virus if we want civilization to go back to normality. You know, um, they've even when people were out of work um, at the height. They were paying all of the citizens 350 euros every week, mm. which I think was the highest of any EU country. Um, you know, so I think they were really looking after the people, you know, because people still had bills to pay. You know, they had feed, they had to feed their children, feed their families, you know, and all that crack. So that had to continue. So I think that they really, you know, I, I felt that that was a fantastic thing to do, you know, make sure that everybody had a wage no matter what. Um, while this, while this, uh, while the pandemic was still going on, but I don't know. Can I? I can't really see any end in sight at the moment, unfortunately. Do you think that um, it's something that needed to be more of a uh, Europe-wide response? Do you think it, things may have been uh, not quite as severe in Europe if there had been more working between different EU countries? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like you look at the likes of Italy and Spain, the numbers there were absolutely scary. Um, like look, we've had about 1,700 deaths here in Ireland. That's still pretty high. Um, that's in the Republic of Ireland. I think Northern Ireland have close to six, 700. Um, and it, it seems to be predominantly people, you know, of nursing home age and in their 70s and 80s. But I, I think that we were really caught off guard. I don't think there was enough um, communication between um, between Europe on how to handle this whole pandemic. I agree with you there. I don't think it was handled correctly as to there wasn't like a plan put in place. Uh, we all worked together. Like I think the airports are still open, the ports are still open. So I know goods still have to come and go and, and, and that has to continue. But, um, you know, I feel allowing people travel and, you know, not everybody is doing what they're supposed to do in terms of coming home and doing your two-week uh, quarantining. Not everybody's doing that. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's still snowballing, you know, and there's no end in sight. So I don't know, should we do what they're doing in Australia and New Zealand? Should we close our airports, close our ports, you know, for a specific amount of time, whether it be two months, three months, and really try and eradicate it that way? That's probably what we should be doing because they, they, they got rid of it in New Zealand mm. um, there. And I think they got, it, it did come back in small, tiny numbers, but they took immediate action. They really should. They shut the country down, and I think that's probably what we should have done. You know, here in Ireland, being an island as well. Um, now, just turning back to the uh, campaign, one of the things uh, I think you just mentioned it a moment ago is that Limerick is, of course, quite a rural uh, county, has a great deal of um, farming and agriculture. Did that make it easier to get through um, your message in regards to climate change, or was there more resistance to uh, some of the, the arguments you were making? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of resistance. Um, <laughs> where I was running, um, it's predominantly um, kind of uh, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, which would be the old civil Irish, civil war parties of Ireland. They, they, so it's very hard to break that um, cycle. Um, they kind of saw me um, rocking on like with my Green Party <laughs> hat on and God, your one now is here to instill, you know, austerity and put taxes on us and tax everything tax tax their machinery tax the the fuel that they're, they're using um and all that kind of crap but they were completely and utterly misinformed but some what some of them were mentalists or were interested in listening the younger ones especially uh, the younger people that were taken over from their parents taken over farms they were interested 
in listening um, to what the Green Party had to offer. Um, but I think the older ones, very difficult to convince. Um, very, very difficult to convince. They weren't at all open to change, um, even though they weren't really getting a whole pile from the current situation. Mm. But I suppose they were just fearful, really. Fearful of change. Now, the result of the election um, was not an absolute majority for any party. Do you think that that reflects a sense in Ireland that, that there is sort of like a, a fragmented view of how the country uh, should go forward? Yeah, there is. Um, like Sinn Féin got a like, serious amount of votes in the election. They way more than anybody would have thought. Like, I suppose I felt that the Green Party would have done a bit better. They did get 12 TDs elected in the end, um, you know, which isn't isn't enough for a majority in any case. Um, but no party got the majority, whether Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, um, nobody got the majority, which is why we had to come into a, a kind of a government-sharing coalition situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we have three parties in government, so you have Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens in order to make up those numbers. But there was a real there was a real threat there that Sinn Féin wanted to be in government. They really, really wanted it. But nobody was willing to go and uh, make up the numbers with them. They tried everything. They tried to get Fianna, Fianna Gael to get involved, Fianna Fáil to get involved. And the Greens, now the Greens did talk to them. Um, but some of their policies weren't really sitting very well with us. So um, I think like what we've achieved with the with the current situation is pretty good. You know, it is pretty good. Like we've, I'll just give you a quick idea. Like they've agreed that 7% annual um, reduction in emissions, an end to direct provision, which is a big situation in, in Ireland right now, a ban on fracked gas imports. Um, and then they have agreed that 10% on, will be spent of the budget on, tra- on cycling and walking. They've agreed to build 50,000 new public homes, um, 500,000 retrofit homes. So you'll be retrofitting houses um, that are half built or derelict. Um, and also, there's a, a lot of other, there's so many other points like with regard to solar energy and, and national land use plan and, and all that kind of thing. So the, we got a lot out of what we wanted. So I think the Green Party did well in terms of negotiations. Do you think that uh, Ireland is perhaps against other countries in Europe, much more progressive in terms of uh, climate change and green issues? Do you think that uh, Ireland is in many ways uh, leading the way where other countries can can follow? We are in some ways, um, but we, like, we're still, we have a commitment now um, by t- to 2030 to reduce our emissions by 7%, and everybody seems to be on board with that. But I still think, you know, the situation I'm fighting outside of my um, Green Party um, hat is, is, is the incineration side of things. Mm-hmm. So I still think incineration is a backward step when it comes to climate change um, and things like that. Now, there is a lot of a move. There's lots of people moving towards electric cars, um, towards retrofitting their homes, solar energy, all that kind of thing. So there are, it, there is change happening. It's, it's slow, but it is happening. Um, I don't know if we are the leaders in Europe. We're certainly... We're certainly doing our doing our best to um, to show example, and I think people are beginning to realise that we have to do something here. Like this, this climate change situation is is urgent. I think the likes of Greta Thunberg has opened up the eyes of the younger people, the younger generation, um, because you have we have these strikes here every Friday in Ireland called um, uh, Fridays for Future. So you have young people out there spend the Friday afternoon. Um, out striking for climate change, you know, in solidarity with Greta Thunberg and her movement. So um, I do think there is change happening, um, and it's it's 
it's gradual, but I think having the Green Party in government is certainly um, a plus for that. Mm. Do you think that um, part of the um, reservations that there may have been in Limerick may have been in part due to the uh, mixed signals over the Limerick to Cork motorway? Mm. Do you think that th- that was part of the reason that some people were saying, well, we need this motorway, but you know, yeah. um, there the, the doesn't seem to be as much enthusiasm for the leadership of, of the Green Party as there could have Correct. been. Correct, yeah. And that was a gripe that I had with Eamon Ryan and others in the Green Party. Um, living in County Limerick myself, I use that road quite a bit. And that road is, it's, it's, it's horrific. It's pretty bad. And people that use it every day to go to work commute um, for trucks that are bringing goods from A to B, they are, they, they've been harping on about this for donkey's years. And it's, it's been a, an issue for a very long time. And it's been promised by pre- previous governments that this road would be done and never happened. And Eamon Ryan made a statement about it saying that the Greens weren't um, really for it, that, that there, was, there, was, there was other options about pushing in ring roads and all that kind of thing, which like, I felt personally speaking, look, I know that you know, we're trying to get more people or more cars off the roads and people to go electric or people to go on cycling or walking. But I think at the end of the day, like, there is an urgency right now for that road um, and that did turn a lot of people that I was trying to convince to vote off, um, definitely. And I kind of felt that, you know, that he shouldn't have said anything with regard to that and, and make such a statement. And it did definitely affect not only me, but people that were running for the Green Party in Cork as well. Um, I know councillors down in Cork that were running and they said the same thing, that they said that they were getting it on the doorsteps as well because some of them were commuting up to Limerick and vice versa. So... That was a very controversial um, time, for sure. But I tried to, you know, put a positive spin on it, saying that I was actually personally for it, mm. which I was. Mm. I, I think that that road has to happen. It has to take place on a personal... Eamon um, should come down and drive it himself and actually realise how dangerous it is and how many accidents are taking place. And it's just not a very... It's not, it's not a good piece of uh, transport motorway, full stop. Mm. has to happen. Mm. Uh, now, of course, one of the issues that is related to transport and motoring is Brexit and the uh, travelling of goods between uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. What concerns do you have regarding that? So, like, Brexit, again, another, another <laughs> issue that is, that's been going on for forever. Um, but that, that area between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is the 310-mile border land border and nobody living down here I, mean, I don't think anybody living up in Northern Ireland wants to go back to a situation where those where that border is is, is manned and you have checks and you have customs and that's the reason I think it would be a real backward step if that happened um, mm-hmm. like we fought for long enough for peace in Northern Ireland and and we're living we're living in harmony as we speak right now and I think if Boris Johnson does decide you know to put checks in there or put some kind of a a barrier, you know, with regard to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, when, they, when they do pull out of the EU, it's going to be it's going to be detrimental. I think we, we could be going backwards, and I don't know what kind of a, I don't know what kind of a situation we'd be living in. But you know, the Good Friday Agreement, we know that was backed by so many countries, especially the United States, and they've they've come out and said that they mm. don't want any 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 sort of border put back in Northern Ireland, you know, between the two countries, mm. the two countries. Um, and then they will retaliate as a result with regard to trade. So um, I think you need to be very careful here as to how this is handled and how it's dealt with. But because we have peace and harmony right now, 
Um, and I think you just like, why would you upset that? Why would you, how would you go, go backwards mm. in that kind of a situation? Mm. Um, now, if uh, Britain does leave the European Union without a deal, leaves on uh, no deal terms, what impact do you think that that's going to have on businesses in Ireland? Yeah, like there is, uh, at the moment, okay, we have common travel, common free, common free trade. It's going to have a huge impact um, in Ireland. Like we, we, we rely on, on Britain for, for lots of um, a kind of an access to the rest of the EU and vice versa. Um, like we were very supportive of, you know, that Britain gets obviously the best deal for themselves, but but like Ireland, it has, has to be taken into account as well. And I think, and I'm hoping that the negotiations, like there's nothing set in steel yet between Boris and um, our Taoiseach, but I hope that they do reach an agreement for all. I think it's so important that, you know, that travel and trade um, is remains as as, as impacted as, as lowly as possible. Um, because I, I just think, you know, like at, at the end of the day, we've been good neighbours for a long, long time now and nobody wants to upset that relationship. Um, so I'd like to see, I'd like to see something positive come out of that um, negotiations whenever it does happen, whenever the EU does come out. Like it's going to happen. The EU has made up its mind or, or the UK has made up its mind that they want to leave, which is unfortunate, I think. But, you know, we have to respect their decision. But um, I just think I, I'd hate to see... You know, I hate, I hate to see both countries falling out, you know, um, over trade or over travel ground and and that kind of thing happening. But it's, it's still, I suppose, it's still up for debate, isn't it? Mm. Uh, do you think that there are any uh, parts of Ireland or any people in the Republic of Ireland who are perhaps sympathetic to the uh, UK's uh, situation and feel that perhaps Ireland should leave the European Union? Or do you think that most people in Ireland are broadly supportive of the European Union? Um, most people appear to be supportive. Um, anyone that I've spoken to, um, yeah, very much. There's been no mention of us ever leaving the EU. No, gov- no government or party has ever brought it up. I think we've really learned a lot from watching what's happening over in, over in the UK, and you know that's unfolded. I think a lot of it. My own brother lives over there uh, in London. Um, you know, and, and he was even saying a lot of it back at the time was very much misinformed. People were misinformed as to what it would mean. Um, leaving the EU. So I think people really didn't know what they were voting for. But I think we've learned a lot from watching what's going on over there now. And I think, you know, we do rely on like the living in the Eurozone and and the common travel and all that. And I think it's become part of us now. I, I can never see it happening. I think Ireland would suffer immensely if we were isolated over here in Western Europe. I think we would suffer um, in terms of trade, in terms of travel, in terms of like everything. I think I don't I don't really see the benefit of it for us, mm. unfortunately, you know. Mm. Um, now, of course, we've mentioned uh, the United States and there's going to be a presidential election, in, I think, about six weeks in yeah. the US between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And now Joe Biden has spoken quite a bit about it, pride in his Irish heritage and be, uh, wanting to be a, a friend to Ireland. If he wins the uh, presidential election, what do you think will change in the relationship between the United States and Ireland? Again, will he win? I don't know. I think Donald Trump, you know, he still has a massive, massive following um, over there. And it's quite scary after four years that people still are brainwashed by him. Um, Joe Biden, yeah, I think he would probably be the best option, you know, in terms of um, who should take the presidency at this stage now. Um, Like, will much change? Donald Trump has a link here. He has a golf course here in Ireland in Dunebeg and he employs people um, down there. 
and uh, Joe Biden, I don't think it will make much of a difference. Um, you know, I would like to see him selected definitely um, over Donald Trump. But I think at the end of the day, like both men are in their 70s, they're both in their late 70s. I think one is 74, one is 76 or 77. Mm. You know, I think it's quite unfortunate that mm. there isn't, you know, a choice for the for the voters over there, that there isn't like a female candidate, that there isn't a mixed race candidate, that there isn't, you know, like I think is, is that what America, is that what represents America to men in their, two white men in their 70s? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think it's quite unfortunate, you know, that that is all that they have to offer over there. Um, but it's just, they've only two choices, you Democrat or you Republican, and that's pretty much it. So, you know, I, I would like to see Biden obviously get elected over Trump, 100%. Mm. Uh, now, when you were standing uh, for the Green Party in, in Limerick, there hadn't been uh, a, a female candidate, a woman elected as TD for, for Limerick before. Why do you think that is? Yeah, uh, it's back to, I suppose, what I said earlier about um, civil war parties, um, you know, and it's always been men. Even this time around, like we have seven seats in Limerick, you have four in the city and three in the county. And out of those seven, I think maybe six or seven women ran as well. And no female got elected. Seven men were re- were elected um, to the seven seats. So um, I suppose some people brought up the argument, maybe the women weren't good enough, that they weren't, you know, that they, the men, you know, had it, had, had better support and the better backing and things like that. Um, I think it's unfortunate. I was hoping to, like, be the first female TD elected in the county and the first green TD elected in the county. Now, we were lucky enough to get a green TD elected in the city, uh, Brian Ledden, um, which was the, he's the first ever green TD elected. Um, but there's still very much people's views are, are, are still very historic and they kind of they have a tendency to do what their parents done and their grandparents done. Like, you, you know, you follow that party and that candidate, um, you know, and that, that's the way it is down here. And, and it, is, it is kind of changing slightly. But, you know, I don't know, will it in, in the next, I think the next election is 2024. Um, will, will people's mindsets change by then? I'm hoping, and I'm hoping the younger people coming up and um, that they will register to vote and they will have a say as well because that's so important, you know. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's extremely difficult in Royal Ireland to get elected as a woman and as a Queen it's, it, because it's just you're going against, you know, going against the, the norm of what people have voted for for, for the last 100 years. Mm. Um, now, I know uh, in Limerick you're beginning a uh, pilot scheme at the moment for... Uh, helping businesses becoming uh, zero carbon neutral. What more can you uh, tell our listeners about that campaign? Yeah, so at the moment, um, I've also joined um, an organisation called Zero Waste Alliance Ireland. Now, this again came about as a result of my anthem rule with um, Limited Against Pollution and offering people an alternative um, to their waste in terms of reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, people at the moment, everything is going either into an incinerator or is going into landfill. Um, and now we need to start training people um, to look after or, or to be responsible for their waste. And so as a result of this, um, me joining this organisation, Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, we plan to, we're doing some um, workshops at the moment. Um, and the whole idea is to use Limerick as a pilot scheme, the city and the county. Mm-hmm starting with businesses um, and then moving on to schools, households, and telling people how they can reduce their waste and, and how they can save money and making them more aware of, of, of you know, where does my waste go? Where does my 
plastic bottle end up, where does you know my container end up? Like getting people to think, you know, I think, and, and a lot of people now are from I mean my friends that I've spoken to about it, like they are definitely waking up to the whole waste situation, um, and that's something that we need to be responsible for. Every country needs to be responsible for its own waste. We shouldn't be shipping our waste abroad to the likes of China or Denmark or wherever to get a, to get it incinerated. We should be producing very little waste if everybody does what they're supposed to do. You know, reduce, reuse, recycle, um, and and you know, and that that has to be what people have to get into their hab- into the habit of doing. You know, and change their lifestyles that way. Now we're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been great speaking to you, Claire, and I have one final question. Now, yes. uh, as we've mentioned, uh, coronavirus has impacted on us all, and we've all. Uh, been in lockdown at various different points. Uh, so my final question to this uh, to you is this: uh, During uh, lockdown, uh, what one thing that you weren't able to do did you miss most? Mm, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I suppose traveling. I think traveling. Um, my, as I said, my brother lives in the UK, and they just had a new baby, um, and you know, it wasn't being able to see him. You know, because we would go over quite a bit, go over, he would come, you know, it's family, not being able to see family, not being able to socialise, especially my parents as well, um, because they were cocooning, they were over the age where they had to, they had to isolate themselves. So it was, it was all very strange, you know, but at least I could drive out to my parents and, you know, social distance with them. But, you know, not seeing my, not seeing my brother and his wife and, and the baby, that was, that was difficult. So yeah, I think it makes you realise how important that is. Mm. Uh, well, I hope every, you know everything uh, is is better uh, soon, so you're able to see uh, your brother uh, and his child soon. Uh, if people want to find out more about uh, your campaign in Limerick, where should they go? Basically, um, if you want to follow our campaign, it's Limerick Against Pollution and at LAP underscore Limerick. And also for myself, I'm on Twitter at Claire Keating GP and on Instagram and Facebook as well at Claire Keating GP. Great. Well, uh, I hope people uh, check all those out. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Well, We enjoyed it. Thank you. For listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.